A quick word for my son, Lewis. Welcome to episode 94 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by the liquor store of Jackson Hole, growing with our community since 1985. Please visit the com slash TOS to learn more. Hello from Jackson Hole. I'm Stephan Abrams, your host and guide today. Each week I sit with someone connected to Jackson Hole to share their fascinating story about daily life. I feel we can all learn so much from each other, and I intend to search out people and their stories, which will teach us all a little about life outside of our everyday circle. Today's guest has family roots in the valley, which span over 116 years. Jim Rooks is a descendant of the Van Vleck family, which originally settled the valley in the early 1900s. Most consider Jim a local of Jackson Hole after living most of his life here, but not his kids, not a chance. To them, their dad is just a tourist until he dies or has lived here for 75 years. Jim will share with us today some fantastic history about Jackson Hole and how his family helped settle this remote mountain town. Now raising his own family here in Jackson Hole, Jim helps keep his community history alive by telling stories. It's just up to you to figure out which ones are true and which ones are too big for the history books. So kick back and relax and get ready for a colorful story of this magnificent valley from the mouth of Jim Rooks. Jim, delighted to have you as a guest here at the Jackson Hole Connection today. Uh, Wonderful to see you. Thank you for joining. You bet. I'm really happy to be here. So, Jim, let's start. You have a fascinating connection in history with Jackson Hole. Let's start off with what that is for the listeners to understand who you are and, and your family and your connection here. Yeah, it's a, it's a long history. It's 116 years old this year. So my great-grandfather, Roy Van Vleck, and his brother, Frank, uh, left Michigan in 1906, probably 1905, headed west, of course, headed to Oregon. Like most of us, I don't think anybody actually intended to come to Jackson. And uh, they were doing the, the Overland Trail, um, and they uh, were told that they shouldn't pass by uh, the Jackson Hole country without uh, taking a peek. So they came down, and here our family is 116 years later. So uh, in 1906, Roy and Frank founded the Jackson Hole Mercantile. Um, if you, it's the first structure on the, the, the town square um, in, the, in the building that's known as the clubhouse. Um, that, that base structure is still visible there. I think it was just uh, uh, an all-in-one place. Uh, everything in the valley kind of happened there. And uh, they had the first floor leased out as a mercantile. And second floor uh, was, um, let's see, it was a school. It was a bar. <laughs> it was a dance hall. It was a meeting place. And then Frank, uh, after he got kind of settled in, he wrote back for his childhood sweetheart to come uh, join him in his new hometown. And uh, that lady's name was Genevieve Van Vleck. Um, It's been really cool because I think 10 or 15 years ago, if you said Genevieve Van Vleck, people would have no idea uh, who she was. But um, when Jedediah's, of course, uh, the the famous restaurant uh, just off the town square, uh, transferred uh, management, and that became Cha- Cafe, Cafe Genevieve. Um, we are, we've always been really appreciative of the folks who own that 
kind of honoring the history there. And then, of course, the Save the Block initiative um, over the last couple of years has, has brought Genevieve back up into the limelight. I just posted uh, yesterday uh, a, a brand new article in a magazine called Atlas Obscura, where um, a woman uh, wrote uh, a 1920 kind of uh, memorial to that, uh, or excuse me, a 2020 article honoring that 1920 first all women's town council. So Genevieve was on that uh, town council. And then, like I said, it's, uh, you know, 116 years of history. I, I doubt you and your viewers want to hear every bit of it, but um, <laughs> the really cool part since then, you know, um, Homestead family and uh, over hundred years of history is, you know, uh, Genevieve's daughter, Jean Van Vleck, who became Jean Stewart, uh, was an extraordinary woman. Um, she was the first Girl Scout in the state of Wyoming. You know, grew up on horseback, and uh, they used to hold dog sled races down Broadway. Uh, every kid had their little sled with their dog hooked to it, one dog. Jean was just an extraordinary woman. She married a guy named Bob Stewart. Um, his name is on the new World War, uh, the new War Memorial at the center of George Washington Square, our town square. Um, Bob Stewart was a World War II vet. And then my mother, Becky Rooks, uh, was just an extraordinary woman. Um, anyone who knows Becky knows how incredible she was. She married a guy named Jim Rooks, uh, what we call the Wyoming white trash segment of our family, proudly. <laughs> like, you know, my, my, my mother's side of the family was like almost Hemingway-esque. Uh, you know, tons of writing and art and literature and uh, just the best of that generation. And um, my dad's family is more uh, Casper, Wyoming, uh, oil riggers, and uh, a little rough around the edges. And according to us, we think it's a perfect uh, match. So I have uh, one sister, Michelle Rooks, who lives in town, who teaches at the middle school. Two brothers who, who uh, live in Denver and uh, San Diego, but come back a lot, and, uh, and myself. So uh, we call it five generations because my great-great-grandfather came here and, uh, to visit his son, Frank, and died while uh, elk hunting. Hmm. Um, I, I think that the elevation probably got him and, uh, and the rigors of elk hunting. But uh, I think I've shared with you before, uh, you know, there's three ways you can become a local. You can uh, be born here, live here 75 years, or die here. So uh, Claire Van Vleck, what's his name? So he died here, so we count that one. That's one. <laughs> and then four more, so we got five generations. So I'm proud to say that uh, my two kids – I have a 13-year-old daughter, Stella, and an 11-year-old uh, crazy son named Henry, and they're sixth-generation Jackson. That's beautiful, man. Congratulations. Thanks for giving the – that's a fast summary for 116 yeah. years. <laughs> and, and I love that you're so knowledgeable of your family's history, but you also yeah. speak about it quite a bit. Yeah, you know, I'm a, well, first of all, my dad was a social studies teacher. The Van Vleck family – uh, you, you know, we, uh, it's funny because one of uh, the elements of uh, my platform for running for town council is historic preservation. And it's just so important, you know, like the things that we don't think are important at all, they're important later on, right? And so I have, I have trunks for my kids and uh, these big giant trunks. I had that with my um, family and it goes back and you just throw everything in there. You know, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes we go out and, and edit 
which uh, piece of artwork is unworthy of the trunk. But, you know, both my kids, you throw that stuff in there. It, it, right now it would go to browse and buy or be garbage sale stuff, but, um, or garage sale stuff. But, you know, 20, 30 years from now, that stuff becomes special. So my family always did a good job, the Van Vlecks, of kind of preserving history. And um, my dad was a social studies teacher and just, you know, we, we grew up reading and hearing about history and so I, I think like usually one person in a family i don't, I don't know if uh, that's totally true but it almost seems to me always there's always one person who really likes the family history you know everyone else goes to sleep and and rolls their eyes and says oh god grandma's telling another story but i don't know i always remember like intentionally asking my grandparents stories and, and say i want to hear this stuff my uncle uh, dick stewart who lives in town he was the carrier of the flame you know he he remembers all the stories and documents and holds on to stuff. And, and I do that same thing as well. So I think it's important for, you know, like I say, we look at stuff today and we think of it as just our day-to-day -day lives, but you add 50 years to it and all of a sudden it becomes, you know, an artifact or something that tells about history. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, my siblings call me all the time and say, hey, what year was this and who did that and what was that person's name? And I've actually been doing a lot of writing lately because at some point someone needs to write the book, right? Because mm -hmm. it's too much for anyone to remember and, and, and stuff is lost with every generation. So yeah, I've always been uh, the one who pays attention to history. Good for you, man. Good for you. I, I do have a question that I'd like for you to expand on sure. um, for some information is what would it have been like for your uncles to take a detour off that overland trail to come down to Jackson. So where was that going yeah. through? And then, yeah, it's, it's a great question. So, you know, you had the traditional California trail that went, you know, the, you could call it the Oregon trail, the California trail. It was kind of the Southern route that is basically modern day I-80, you know, um, and, and the railroad track, of course, a little bit North of there, South pass, whatnot. But the, the Northern Trail, the Overland Trail would kind of cut up into uh, kind of east of the Bighorns and then curl a little bit more direct route um, through uh, Southern Montana, so on and so forth. So the story goes, my, my wife has uh, very uh, commonly reminds people that I'm a storyteller, right? <laughs> and I, and I, always try to, I always try to let her know that to be a Western storyteller, means you're a little bit of a bullshitter, right? I mean, I, I guess the literary folk, folks would call it hyperbole or uh, artist, artistic license or something. But listen, the story's supposed to be interesting, right? And so if it wasn't interesting, you've got to make it interesting. And that makes you a good storyteller. But my wife's convinced it just means uh, we're all bullshitters out here. But uh, my grandmother, Jean Van Vleck, was a grand storyteller. Man, she, she was awesome. So she always told us that Roy and Frank, met uh, Buffalo Bill Cody while in Cody, Wyoming, which doesn't really equate to the, the Overland Trail. Um, and secondly, so that would have been right, 1905, 1906. So me being a history guy, one time I, I, I just thought, wow, that's, that sounds like a great story, right? You know, Buffalo mm -hmm. Bill, you know, Frank and Roy Van Vleck having a drink and Buffalo Bill telling them, hey, you got to go down and hunt and fish in, in the Jackson country. The only problem with that is when I looked up historically, I think Buffalo Bill was in Europe with his <laughs> Wild West show. So, so with all due respect to my beloved Grandma Jean, I'm not really sure how they ended up here. I know that we know they had a wagon. We know they went to Colorado. They went to Denver, which was a little bit of a detour into itself. 
And we know they had a, a, a wagon full of apples. And uh, the journals say either apples or potatoes. But uh, I read a couple of things. I think they had apples. And they were entrepreneurs, just like yourself. And so I think they were just cruising along the trail, selling fresh produce, which was very rare. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think they had a little bit of money. I think they had a little scratch coming out of Michigan. Um, they were the two youngest brothers of a, of a big family. So I also think they were the ones who realized that their older brothers were probably going to take over the businesses and, and you know, get, get uh, primogeniture, as, as they call it. Oldest son gets everything. So I think they had a catalyst for getting out here. Um, which I think resonates with a lot of us is, you, you know, you think, hey, something else is calling me. And I think they were entrepreneurs. And, and my take is I think they probably intended to come to Yellowstone and visit Yellowstone. I don't think it was as much of a detour. I do know they were headed to Oregon, but they were from uh, an area of Michigan that had the big lakes. They were on Lake Michigan. So I think they saw Yellowstone Lake and I think they uh, particularly saw Jackson Lake. And I think it reminded them of home. And I think they thought, hey, this is it. Because mm -hmm. they, um, they homesteaded 80 acres on the shores of Jackson Lake. So I, they were avid fishermen and hunters. So, I mean, if, if you were, uh, as you know, if, if you liked the outdoors and you hit Jackson country, especially in 1906, I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think any of us have seen anything like this. And I think it just hooked them and, and they were here for good. That's awesome. That's so cool. Did you ever know your grandmother? Was My she, grandmother, she... yes. Uh, Jean, for sure. Um, uh -huh. she, she lived until she was about 81. And, and I knew her really well. We'd, uh, we moved all over Wyoming, and uh, my mom had uh, four kids in about four years, including three boys. So we used, to think, we used to think it was like a real special treat, that it was just this great family thing. But my mom would send two of us up every summer to live in Jackson. Um, so we lived in Kemmer, Casper, Laramie, Douglas. My dad was a teacher, football coach. He was bouncing around with jobs and he went back and got a master's degree from Laramie. So we grew up kind of all over Wyoming. So when we lived in Kemmer, two of us would uh, get to come up and live with grandma and grandpa. We thought it was sweet. You get older and I have my own crazy kids and I realized my mother was just trying to get rid of a couple of us during the summertime. But yeah, I, I grew up with uh, Bob and Jean. My grandparents were really close. I never got to meet Roy Van Vleck. He died just about two or three years before I was born. Oh, bum. But he's one of those guys, you know, I've seen, I've written, I've read so much of his writings. He was a prolific writer, loved writing cards and letters and all the photos and whatnot. So I feel like I kind of knew him, but we were never alive at the same time. That's great that you got to know your grandmother so well. Both your grandparents, my grandparents were super important to me in my life and my, my growing up. So I'm, I'm glad you had that opportunity. Yeah, I have that. And, and you know, my, my grandfather, Bob Stewart, he died relatively young. He died when he was about 65. Mm -hmm. My grandma lived, like I said, till 81. And so she actually moved in with us. Um, we moved back, back home to Jackson. And, uh, you know, so I grew up with three generations in the house. She was really important to me. And, uh, you know, both my parents passed away uh, tragically very young of cancer. Mm -hmm. And so my kids uh, don't have that in the form of grandparents. And so my wife's parents were from Baltimore. We've, uh, we've invited them out and they come and stay with us for months at a time. We have a little mother-in-law's apartment, which is, I've warned people, if you build a mother-in-law's apartment, they might just move in. <laughs> you know? so, uh, but it's really important for me uh, that my kids have that, that same, you know, there's, there's nothing that can replace those grandparents, you know, and, they, and they're very different than us. Ruth's mother is very strict and very smart and uh, manners mean a lot. And so mm -hmm. it's great to have them as kind of that, uh, that third generation kind of help raise the kids. Yeah, that's so true.
What was, do you live in the house that you grew up in now? Um, no, the, uh, the house I grew up in in Jackson is, is pe- let's see, people call it the Red House. It's, it's on the Genevieve Block, um, uh-huh. 175 East Broadway. I'll never forget that address. Some, some locals call it the Pillow Fluffer. Because if you remember, there was I remember a, that eclectic James, business Jimmy's. out of there. Yeah. I'm not sure anyone really knows what the pillow fluffer did, but it was a business there for a little while. But if I say that, people say, oh, yeah, I know that. But yeah, it's that red house just down from Cafe Genevieve. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a house I grew up in. You know, of course, after high school, I went to college, University of Wyoming, did my master's degree down in Denver and worked down in Denver. And then when we moved back to town in 2002, first we bought a condo. And uh, then we sold the condo, bought some land, and, and built the house we live in now. So I live on just the base of Snow King uh, on uh, Flat Creek Drive. Nice. Nice. Just, just in time, as, as you know. It was like uh, 10 years later, and I don't know if we could have done it, but we got here. We got back just in time. And actually, Abby Garriman, who was a former mayor of Jackson, and a lot of mm-hmm. people know Abby. Abby bought Jedediah's and uh, the Juicery building from my family. So when, uh, and let's see, uh, Abby might correct me on this, but I think he bought Jed's for $19,000. Hmm. And I believe the juicery uh, building, you know, that beautiful little cabin next to um, Cafe Genevieve, I think that was uh, the grand total of maybe like $30,000. And so when we got back in 2002, I knew I wanted to live in town. I've always been a townie. And uh, so he had this piece of property for sale. So I called him and said, hey, Abby, I, it wasn't listed or anything. I said, I want to I wanna buy that piece some land he says it's not for sale and I said um with all due respect sir I said I think you've done quite well on my family's real estate and all I want to do is buy this land and I promised him I said we'll own it forever I'm not going to buy it to flip it I'm not going to build a a, a massive home I want to build a family home and I want to raise my kids here and the next day um we got a call that said Abby was willing to sell the property so um we got in um just in time and I always appreciate Abby kind of helping us uh, get back into Jackson. That's awesome. I, I hope one day to have him on, on the podcast. I've approached him. Yeah. He, was, he was a bit hesitant. Uh, maybe he can... I would love that interview too, because uh, he's fascinating. Um, yeah. And I think there's a lot of mystery behind him. You know, like I, oh, yeah. I would have a dozen questions I'd like to ask that guy. Well, we can uh, double team him to yeah. well, tag he's, team him. He's my neighbor. He's right next door. So next time I see him, I'll, I'll encourage him to get on the, the podcast. Yeah, please do. So, so Jim, growing up here, being part of so many generations of, of living here in Jackson, what do you think the essence of living in Jackson is all about? Yeah, so it's a really good question. So I, I think that's a hard question too, because it's, it's, uh, it's so multifaceted and Jackson means so many different things to so many different people. Um, I guess I would, I, I would uh, say two things and it, and it kind of aligns a little bit with, um, you know, why I'm trying to uh, become part of, you know, the, the town government, which is uh, I want to build unity in our community. You know, if you go back, if you go back even one generation and especially two, three, four, five generations, the only way that people could survive here is by uh, teaming up with their neighbors. You know, you, you, you didn't run solo around here. There wasn't a whole lot of lone rangering, right? Is your neighbors, you know, they were going to need you and you were going to need them. And so, you know, it sounds, you know, romantic and whatnot, but the fact is it, it was like kind of a brutal truth. I mean, if you read about those early generations, those folks just barely hung on. 
and mm-hmm. you know so your your neighbors and 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 you know your neighbor might be a mile away um but like when something went down you know you, you weren't going to take care of it yourself you needed to team up and so in my opinion i've always i've heard people say the the only thing truly profoundly unique about jackson is the ecosystem this incredible beautiful nature my grandma taught us that as beautiful as jackson is uh, environmentally um and it is beautiful is that the essence of Jackson was the people. The most beautiful thing about Jackson was the people. And I'd like to add one thing to that, which is my grandmother always said, don't you dare lock the gate behind you. Meaning, you know, as, as, as you know, fifth generation locals, uh, I was taught that it's our job to welcome people to our town, to, uh, to welcome them into your house. Um, my grandmother, uh, not only would she, uh, not lock the door behind her. Uh, the only way you get in trouble with her is if you wouldn't come in and, and visit. She'd say, mm. come on in for a visit. You know, if you walk by the street, you know, modern time, you think, uh, I think we should all slow it down a little bit, say hello. You know, I say hello to every single person I see. Um, my wife loves that when I go to like, uh, you know, Brooklyn and I'm on the subway. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, she's like, right. And nobody like, says hello back. You're like, like what? just stop. <laughs> Hi, come on, be nice. What's going on? But then yeah. that I've learned too, you know, you say hello to the wrong person there and all of a sudden they're following you down the street, you know, and you're just yeah. like, so uh, I've learned that, you know, it's, it's situational, but you know, the whole time you, you'd say hello, but my uncle does this is that uh, you, you'd say, you wouldn't just say hello, you'd stop for a visit. Mm-hmm. So they, we had a nice visit with someone today, which in our family typically meant, you know, 30 minutes, <laughs> you know, I mean, you, when you were visiting, you were really catching up and really finding out what's going on with these people. So, you know, I just think the essence of Jackson is none of us are from here. You know, the Paleo Indians, the Sheep Eaters, uh, Paleolithic peoples, the first Americans, um, I think they can lay claim to being from here. But even they came here from someone else, from somewhere else. And so did the rest of us. And so I think the essence of Jackson to me is uh, taught to me um, by my mother and people like Marty and Olas Muri, who document this in, uh, in her book, Wapiti Wilderness, which is what other small little Wyoming town can you sit down at a dinner party table and be sitting next to a rancher, a billionaire, uh, you know, a, a waitress, a PhD who studies, um, you know, flora and fauna, an entrepreneur, you know, I've, I, there's, a, there's a great uh, descript in, in that book, uh, Wapiti Wilderness, where Marty and Olas describe why they chose to settle in Jackson. They could have settled anywhere. And they, they went to a dinner party. And, and here in this small little town, there's this incredible, eclectic, diverse, interesting, entrepreneurial, creative, and maybe a little crazy group of people. And so I think, um, you know, I think acceptance and diversity, and, I, and I've always thought it's about the people. I think because, and then of course, the people have an obligation to take care of the environment. But um, yeah, I think the essence of, ja- essence of Jackson is all about people like you, all kinds of different people, cool people who come here and kind of add to our collective history. Well, thank you for including me in that. I, I feel quite honored um, yeah. to, to be included in that. I, I grew up in Mississippi. And as I said, my grandparents are very important to me. And we would just sit down and visit. And we would go to somebody's house and that's what you do is you would just visit. And that's kind of the underlying tone or reason why I created this podcast was to sit and visit with people, to have conversations and get to know people a lot better and to share their stories because we all have something to share. We all have a story. 
Yes. Well, and I think I, I really mean it. I, I've, I've known you for a long time. Um, not well, but I know you through Rotary Club and, um, you know, your work at TLS. And, uh, and then I just was reading up. I didn't realize you were partners with uh, the Rod Father. Um, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just cool to see people. I, I, I'm amazed that, uh, you know, the average person who shows up in this town and sticks around, especially people who can stick around for a while. I found them to be pretty interesting people. And so I do mm -hmm. appreciate it. It's, it's cool to see that angle on what you're doing here, which is to just slow down a little bit and just chat and visit with people. It's, it's, a, it's a great endeavor. Thank you. I'll be right back with Jim after this quick message from the show's sponsor. The liquor store of Jackson Hole has been growing with the community of Jackson Hole since 1985. Locally owned and operated, the liquor store is ready for summertime in the hole. We've loaded up on rosés from around the world and adult sparkling seltzers. Get your cooler ready. We have the ice, beer, and rosé for summer fun. We're open for in-store shopping or ordering online using our website or mobile app to have your favorites delivered for free. Visit thejacksonholeconnection.com slash TLS to learn more. I'm, I'm really interested, Jim, on some nitty gritty, doesn't have to be dirty story, but just something with some great humor that you could share. Cause I know you have some stories, some great humor, and it could be any part of your generation. It could be something that you did when you were a kid that people yeah. probably wouldn't have gotten away with now. <laughs> well, if, if <laughs> or something that story, your grandparents did. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I can't help but, uh, share a, a story about my juvenile delinquency because, uh, Listen, I think, uh, number one, I was, I was younger than 18 when it happened, so it's all been expunged, and uh, I, I can't be held accountable for it. also paid my dues, but... Uh, was Mike Jorgensen involved in this at all? <laughs> I, I, I will not, I do not recall whether <laughs> Mike Jorgensen was involved, but I, I can tell you one of my best friends, Matt Combs, was. Anyone who knows Combsy, he's just a world-class paraglider and incredible local guy from an old-time local family, but we... Um, you know, like I said, we grew up uh, moving all over Wyoming. We moved every year, kind of uh, on a annually, we'd make a move. And we grew up in some tough towns across Wyoming. The fact is most towns across Wyoming are pretty tough towns. And so, you know, Casper and Douglas and uh, Laramie and Kemmer. So we, we mm -hmm. lived in Kemmer for, I lived in Kemmer for about four years before we moved back, back home to Jackson. And Kemmer was just a, you know, just a wild, crazy mining town. And so we were uh, pretty wild. You know, my mother, she with, with three boys, she was famous for waking us up early in the morning. And she'd whisper to us, she'd say, you, you better get up and get outside before your dad puts you to work. Because my dad didn't like idleness, right? So he would work you all day long. And if he ran out of work, he'd sell us to like ranchers and other people and we'd work for them. And so... <laughs> And before she leaves, she kind of sometimes she'd have a lunch pack and stuff and she'd say, and remember, don't come home until the sun goes down, you know, so. It's pretty I, late I in the that, summer. I've told, I've told that to people. It's like, here's this, I mean, I think of her as like this angelic, just wonderful mother, but I think she kicked us out of the house at 6 a.m. and told us we couldn't come home until, you know, 10 at night. And that's just how we grew up. And so, you know, you can imagine uh, we, we found some trouble. And uh, I won't go into the trouble, but I'll tell you that Combs and I, what we do is I grew up at 175 East Broadway. He grew up at like 275 East Pearl Street. And both of our properties had a little section of Cash Creek mm -hmm. that flew through it, right? 
So literally from his front door to, to, to my back window where I'd sneak out all the time, um, there was, you know, a culvert, you know, that ran underneath the street. So when we get in trouble as kids and, you know, somebody might be chasing us, uh, maybe police or something like that. And keep in mind, we, we were really young, so it wasn't big trouble. But if, uh, if we ever, you know, we'd run around the town square at night and, you know, mess around and stuff. And if, if we started getting chased, all we had to do is either make it to his house or my house, because then we, we crawl up that culvert or crawl down that culvert for like two blocks. I still, I still have memories of that. You couldn't pay me. I'd, I'd be so claustrophobic if I tried that today. But uh, yeah, we just, we just make a break for Pearl Street or Broadway. And then uh, we get to his house or my house and we'd say, okay, we made it. And the other person would crawl up the culvert to their window and, and we'd be home free. So that culvert's still there. And uh, every time I drive by there, you know, it's crazy growing up in a, a town where you have so much history because every time I, I turn the, the corner on certain streets, this huge flood of memories comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it was, uh, you know, I would say in the 70s and early 80s, Jackson was a pretty crazy town for kids, you know. I mean, uh, my wife hears it and she thinks I'm talking about some old Wild West stories, but it really was pretty lawless and, you know, just kids running around and just getting into trouble and stuff. And then things changed. And uh, I actually uh, was a a world-class juvenile delinquent. And I always thank Judge Terry Rogers, who just uh, retired, and a lot of Steve Weichman, who just retired, uh, these legal professionals. Uh, had a lot to do with kind of redirecting me and uh, getting me back on the right track. And I, I always, uh, without Judge Rogers and uh, Steve Weichman and some of those guys, my life could have been very different. But they helped me see the way. And, hmm. and uh, because I was such a, a, a jerk and a punk as a kid, I think I've always felt like an obligation to give back to Jackson. You know, it's just, I've always called it my karmic obligation. Hmm. Uh, not just my family history, but I was such a punk that I kind of feel like I, uh, I need to, uh, I owe Jackson a, a debt. That's, that's awesome, man. I love it. <laughs> I can just see it. And, and why was Kimmerer and some of those places so wild compared to Jackson? Yeah. I mean, till this day, that's, that's probably true is, uh, you know, just mining towns, uh, rough and tough customers. You, you know, my grandpa Curly, Curly Rooks, um, my dad's side of the family, he ended up owning Daniel Junction, which was called Rookie's Lodge at that time. And then he sold that and bought the Rim, the Rim Station. So when you drive the Pinedale, oh, yeah. uh, I always call that Curly Country, right? Uh-huh. And uh, Curly tells us, he says, hey, you know, it's tough, it's tough moving every year, you know, being the new kid. And we're like, yep. And he says, you know, socially and athletically and stuff, you have to start over every year. We say, yep. He says, well, I'll, I'll give you a hint. I'll tell you how to make it easier. We say, okay, Curly. And Curly says, what you do is when you get to that new town, you ask around who's the most popular kid, and then you just go beat him up. (laughs) And then, uh, you know, so you're the new number one, right? And uh, I hate to admit it, but Curly was right. And uh, so, uh, you know, it's just, we grew up, you know, just we fist fight at at recess, you know, and and nothing really like evil or anything, but just... uh, you know, just running around as kids and um, getting into trouble and going where we shouldn't go. And, you know, we, I, I remember the, the camera story. My mom said she knew she needed to move us back to Jackson after this. So my brothers and I go out and uh, we're playing with fireworks. And somehow my shirt got lit on fire, probably because we were having bottle rocket wars. 
and shooting each other with these things. So mm -hmm. uh, before I got a chance to stop, drop, and roll, my brother tackled me. So he's trying, he claims he still saved my life. I told him I was fine, dude. You didn't have to tackle me. But <laughs> he tackled me, and, and we, we light this field on fire. So this, and by, by a field in Kemmer, Wyoming, we're talking about this turns into like an 80-acre forest fire or, you mm. know, just a brush fire. <laughs> the whole town comes out and fire department and everything. So we go home, and mind you, we're all covered in, in soot, and my shirt's all burnt. And my mom says, uh, boys, do you know anything about that fire? <laughs> she says the worst lie we ever said. We all collected. We said, no, ma'am. <laughs> But we tried to put it out, mom. We tried to put it out. <laughs> so my mom was a big part of realizing that we needed to get back to Jackson. And, uh, and thank God she did because uh, she always did that. She, she made sure we moved back. That was her hometown, of course. Mm -hmm. And I think she knew that if we kept growing up in some of these rough and tough mining, Wyoming towns, things might not work out. And uh, so we got back to Jackson and she always introduced us into skiing and fishing and and all, uh, you know, this amazing stuff that Jackson has to offer. That's great. I, um, I think I was part of starting a little <laughs> field fire, shooting fireworks, yeah. too, when I was a kid yeah. in Mississippi. Uh -huh. I remember the fire department shoot starting, and then we'd have bottle rocket wards. We'd get a piece of pipe. Oh, and yeah. Could stick that thing in a pipe yeah. and really get some good aim and yeah. shooting those things. And then it was really funny. You'd rip them off the stick and light them. And yes. throw them at somebody because yeah. you didn't know which way they'd go because the stick was what gave it the guidance. <laughs> Very exciting uh, childhood for both of it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. I mean, that's just part about living in a small town. Right. Um, my guess is your mom probably wanted you to be around your grandparents so they could throw the foot on you. I think so. It's funny, like speaking of fireworks, so we come back to Jackson and I grew up at 175 East Broadway, which was my grandma and grandmother's house, Bob and Jean's house. They moved up to Kelly and a nice little cabin up in Kelly. And we bought their house from them. And of course, my brothers and I, we would wait, we would plan months for 4th of July, right? Like we'd build all these boats and, and uh, scheme out all these wars. And, and, and of course, then back then you had M80s and cherry mm -hmm. bombs and like I think mm -hmm. now they're called small explosives and uh, <laughs> yeah. so we, we had like I said we had cash creek in the backyard so we would we would dam the exit we put a couple pieces of plywood on there and of course the town guys loved us we'd create uh, what we called cash lake in our backyard and we'd have all these naval wars with firecrackers and I remember the cops showing up the first time and saying do you know who lives here and I said, uh, no. And he, he says, Judge Stewart lives here. You're blowing stuff up in Judge Stewart's backyard. And we said, uh, yeah, that's our grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> and then they knew the Rooks boys were in town. And we found out that Teton County had different firework codes uh, than, uh, you know, Lincoln County or Sublette County. Oops. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. How do your kids, what do they think about being fifth, now sixth generation? Uh, yeah. family here in Jackson? I think they, well, you know, I think they're annoyed uh, by their father's stories um, sometimes about it, uh, just like uh, any kid. So they get to hear a lot about it. And uh, so I'll tell you what, they claim, they claim they're locals and I'm not, which is technically true because I always claim my mother robbed me of my birthright because when she's eight months pregnant, they went to visit some people in Casper and I ended up being born in Casper. So this is big news. This is the first time uh, in documented history I'm admitting in public that I'm actually not a Jackson local. 
according to Grandma Jean's rules, because I wasn't born here. I haven't lived here 75 years yet, and I haven't died here yet. That we know of. Yes. So what we, what we, what I hear from my kids all the time is if I go on some kind of history rant at a dinner party or something, here's what they say. They say, you're not even a local dad. He's not even a local. You should listen to him. He's not even a local. They're of course both born at St. John's. So they're locals, but they, what, what I hear about uh, their thoughts about history is that their father's actually not a true local and that they are. And so uh, they call me a tourist and they make fun of me. Uh, you know, Henry calls me Casper kid sometimes. Says, you're mm-hmm. from Casper, Dad. You're not even from Jackson, uh, which is true. And I'm actually proud of that. But uh, yeah, they're proud of it. Um, and it, just the other night, actually, my son had the fourth grade does this really cool project called the Wax Museum. So you have to identify a person in history and kind of research them and dress up as them. So uh, we researched, I'm a big fan of the Jocko podcasts um, and his documentation of uh, military history, if if you know Jocko, and he's a super impressive Navy SEAL guy. But he had a guy in there, his name's T. Fred Harvey, who was a World War II Medal of Honor winner. And so what we did is we went up to our Kelly cabin, where the place is basically a museum, and we got all this old military gear out from his grandfather and great-grandfather, a long history of veterans there. So he's, he's dressed up in uh, Floyd Livingston's uh, World War II paratrooper uh, helmet and, and um, clothing. He's got a World War I bayonet. He's got, a, he's got a, a Civil War rifle. And I'll tell you what, I think he really appreciated our family history that night. We went up there and interviewed him. And of course, he's supposed to be a character and he describes mm-hmm. who this uh, Medal of Honor winner is. And so I, I think like all of us, as we get older, we come to appreciate it more. And I think that when it's fun for me to listen to them when I'm actually not part of it and I just hear them and then they take great pride in it right you know every now and then i hear them pull out well we're from here we're from you know and then you know that's my great grandmother's house and that's my grandfather's house and uh they have a lot of pride i don't know if it's even their choice i kind of make them uh, Hmm. but i think they do as they get older i think they appreciate it more and more awesome that's that's fantastic jim i love it and and you saying that them calling you out about being local whether you are or not is, is just part of that storytelling aspect. It's just yeah. the way storytelling goes. Totally. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll be very subtle for, you know, the lawyers listening is, you know, I am a Wyoming native. I can say that, right? Mm-hmm. I can say I'm a Jackson native. Uh, I just can't use the word local, um, mm. technically speaking, at least around my kids, you know. Uh, it's only my wife and kids that'll bust me for being a Casper kid. Um, everyone else gives me a little leeway, you know. Just give them some earmuffs for whenever you start talking. <laughs> oh, I have, a, I have a middle school daughter. She automatically. Oh, uh, does she? I love yeah, as soon as I start talking, she uh, usually she has her ear pods in anyways. I'm looking at her right now. She's glaring <laughs> at me. Um, yeah, she doesn't listen to me anyways. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I uh, don't look forward to the time when my boys get to there to that point. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you just uh, ship them off. Uh, you know, like uh, my grandma, she called herself a coupon clipper. And I've always thought maybe my son, you know, some people say, if you don't behave, we're going to send you to mil- military school. Mm-hmm. I, I need to start talking to some of these local ranchers, you know, because I, I need a place to send my boy when he hits middle school and he's a smart aleck. And I, I just want to sell him to a rancher for a couple of years, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, experience some ranch life and then come back and, uh, you know, get back to work. They'll, they'll learn some hard work real fast. Yes. In that yeah. aspect. 
So Jim, wrapping it up, and this has been such a blast talking to you this morning. Thanks, man. With people listening, whether they live here in Jackson or if they're listening from abroad or around the country, what would you say that somebody can do to help build that community aspect, which you feel is so important? Yeah, I think it's uh, two things. This is funny because as I've been talking with folks about running for town council, you know, there's like, what what are the big topics? What are the big issues, right? And uh, all of them are implied, right? Uh, You know, housing, transportation, wildlife, whatever. But I have some in front of those. uh, One of them is slow down, just Mm -hmm. slow, you know, I think we've seen uh, via COVID this uh, maybe an, uh, hopefully like a new normal where everyone can just slow down a little bit because when we slow down, whether it's driving, whether it's walking down the street, whether it's the pace of your life, when you slow down, you know, when they say slow down and take time to smell the roses, you know, the next thing is slow down and take time to reach out to the people to your left and your right, your neighbors, people walking down the street. So I think, you know, if, if you're speeding through life, You know, you're going to miss some of those uh, opportunities to build relationships that allow you to really serve your community and then just get involved. Right. And and you've done that uh, since you got here. I think that's a distinguishing uh, factor of yourself that I really admire is, you know, a lot of people come to new towns and they bring the speed of their other places to the town and they don't necessarily get involved with service. You know, Uh, you know, Jefferson's uh, in pursuit of happiness. A lot of people think Jefferson punted, forgive me, I'm a constitution guy, but um, that anchors back to the ancient Greeks and a a concept called classical republicanism. And they said that no human being can be truly happy if they're not helping somebody else. Hmm. The pursuit of happiness is not buying a hot tub and a new Tesla. Like I like those things, but uh, in order, they, they thought that in order for a person to be truly happy, you had to be helping someone else. So, you know, slow down and make time to contribute and and help other people. And you know how it is. You've done it for decades here now um, is when you do that, you end up uh, benefiting from yourself greatly and uh, really helping the community that, that you live in. Well said. And I have nothing to add to that, but say thank you for saying it because it is so true. So true. That's awesome, Jim. Thank you. Thank you, man. Yeah, this has been a fun time. I'm glad we got to sit down and talk and get to share this conversation with the rest of the world as well. Yeah, well, next time I see you, I'm just going to ask you all the same questions you asked me and uh, find out more about you. I really really appreciate what what you're doing in our community, and I am honored to be part of the uh, Jackson Hole Connections podcast. Cool. Thanks, Jim. Well, you go have a great time with your family. And enjoy the summer. And thank you for what you do for this community and what your family's done for the community. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Take care, Jim. Bye. To learn more about Jim and his tall tales, please visit the JacksonHoleConnection.com episode number 94. I'm always looking for ratings and reviews, so please get out there and share this podcast with your friends, family, and neighbors. And give us a rating and review of five stars because that'll help more people find us. Many thanks to everyone who helps keep the Jackson Hole connection on the air. My son, Lewis, who did the introduction today. My wife, Laura, and son, William. My editor and marketing director, Michael Morey. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Jackson Hole Connection. And I really look forward to seeing you back at the next episode next week.